And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the, well, that's Monday's edition of The Real Investment Show. Getting ready to wrap up the school year. Graduation parties, proms. Spent all weekend being drug around downtown Houston taking prom photos for everybody. <laughs> I was taking prom photos of people I don't even know. People come up, hey, would you take a picture of my daughter? <laughs> like, give me your email address. Happy to do it. This graduation <laughs> stuff is hard work. I know. It, it, was, it was pretty amazing. So we went downtown, downtown Houston, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, you know, so we live out in Katy, right? So we live out on the out, you know, if, if you're not familiar with Houston, because, you know, we have a lot of viewers from around the world. So Houston's kind of the main, the main city, right? And then there's all, nobody actually lives in Houston because it's terrible and it's expensive. So everybody lives in the suburbs surrounding Houston. So you live in the exburbs. I live in the exburbs, yes. Um, But you know, really anywhere in Houston, we we call it all Houston, right? If you live in Katy or the Woodlands, where do you live? I live in Houston, Mm -hmm. right? And that's just kind of how it is. But it's an, it's, you know, it's an hour, hour and a half drive everywhere. So if you want to, you know, go into Houston, it's an hour and a half back, it's an hour and a half with traffic. Um, But anyway, so we have all this really beautiful stuff out in Katy. We have parks and lakes and, you know, fountain areas. No, we can't shoot pictures out there. We have to drive all the way into Houston (laughs) to shoot in front of the fountain in front of the Houston Museum, right? Right, right, yeah. You know, it just, or or the Methodist Church. And really, you know, there is a really beautiful, on on, uh, in in kind of downtown Houston, Mm -hmm. on kind of Main Street and in that area is a really beautiful Methodist church. Yes. Just old, kind of, you know, probably 100 years old. And, mm-hmm. you know, people are in, in, in France right now going, 100 years old? That's brand new! <laughs> it's still under <laughs> warranty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, it was a lot of fun getting drugged around, doing all this. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, it's just that's my whole weekend. But now, this weekend coming up, we've got graduation. Who schedules graduation for 8 p.m. on a Sunday night? I got to get up at 4 a.m. to come to work. Are you kidding? Yeah. So my son graduates 8 p.m. Sunday night. I'm just like. That's <laughs> that's awful. And they're not even in school at this point. They're just yeah. like, I'm exempted out of everything. I'm not even going to school anymore. <laughs> so. Well, congrats to him. Yes. And, and my daughter both. Yes. They, we have two graduating in the next week and couldn't be soon enough. <laughs> Off the payroll. (laughs) Get out of the house. (laughs) Anyway, a couple of things. What does this market bottom have to do with Kim Kardashian's butt? Well, (laughs) they're both pretty big. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) There's got to be a yield curve in there somewhere, too, right? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of slopey. Just joking. Uh, You know, we do have a very, very negative environment right now. Now, futures are going to open a little bit lower this morning, but... Uh, this is after a really big rally on Friday. Again, we've seen these rallies before, and unfortunately what happens is they don't stick. Um, we saw one just previously, a uh, week before last, right after the Fed announced that they weren't going to do any more 75 basis point, or weren't going to do any 75 basis point rate hikes. Market surged 3%, gave it all up the next day. So Friday, of course, coming off this bottom, we've actually had kind of two days in a row here of some positive price action, and that's really good. Even though Thursday was negative for the day, 
we actually saw a lot of buying come in at the end of the day. So we actually had a green candle. So if you're, if you're familiar with candlestick charts, this is just uh, a, a way to display a chart between the, the open, the closed, and the high and the low for the day. Um, we actually had a positive green candle on Thursday, even though the markets were negative. And then on Friday, very nice day in the markets. Markets started out early, rallied into the peak, and then kind of sold off a little bit midday and then rallied into the close. So again, kind of two positive days in a row we've strung together here. So that's actually kind of a good sign here. Um, we're very close to triggering a deeply oversold MACD signal, close to triggering a, a, a very oversold money flow signal. So we've got, and, and of course, we're still very oversold on, on multiple levels. Sentiment across investors is so negative. It, it, it's, it's nobody's positive about the markets. Everybody's pretty much just said at this point, the markets suck, we're done. Um, <laughs> consumer sentiment is super negative. I mean, we've got so much negative sentiment everywhere. You are just kind of in a position here that any it, it kind of any positive news is going to give you a, a little bit of lift out of the markets. Now, here's the, even the more interesting thing is that we're through most of the earnings season. So we've got most of the big companies out of the way. There's still a few little earnings we've got coming in today. Um, Take-Two Interactive and a couple others, but we don't really have that. The Fed did most of their speaking last week, and, uh, and we don't have a whole heavy slate of economic data. So there's really potentially here an opportunity. Markets could rally not from the lack of good news, but just from the lack of news in general. It's just no news is kind of good news type thing. So we could see the markets try to push here back up towards about 418. So this, the, you know, the chart I'm, I'm, I'm talking about right now on our screen, if you're driving your car, is just the S&P 500 tracking ETF, uh, which is the uh, Spider S&P 500 index, SPY, that symbol. So we're just kind of using it as a proxy for the markets. And we could rally to about 418 on that index. Now that would be a good level to start reducing risk in your portfolio. We're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. And we do have a lot of things that are still kind of negative trend. We still have a very big negative trend in the markets from the beginning of this year. We've been in a very defined downtrend channel really since, since September of last year. We kind of just kind of hovered around this kind of consolidation territory, but really since January, a very defined downtrend. We've been working lower lows, lower highs. That's still the case here. And until that reverses any rally back up to the top of that downtrend channel, which right, right now is between 418 and about 431 on the index. So if you're looking at the spiders, uh, SPY as a, as a tracking for the index. So it's about 418 to 431 on, on, on SPY. That's a great level to start reducing some exposure because again, we're not out of the problems with the markets. The, the Fed's still hiking rates. We're still trimming back on liquidity. We've still got slower economic growth coming. We've, we're starting to see a lot of, of disinflationary pressure starting to show up in the markets. Everything from the trucking index to uh, retail inventories are rising. We're, we're still seeing a lot of that impact that is going to continue to kind of weigh on the economy, weigh on earnings. And importantly, talking about earnings, earnings estimates are still way too high. Uh, analysts have actually been, despite the fact we're heading towards a recession, analysts have been ratcheting up earnings for companies, even though companies are talking about 
tougher outlooks, slower growth environments, those type of things. We're, that's what companies are telling us and analysts keep hiking up their targets. So those targets are going to have to come down as we get later into this year. We'll see that start to occur probably in the, in the late second quarter, early third quarter uh, as we start moving towards year end and, and they, they realize that they're not going to make those numbers. But uh, again here, we're so oversold here. A bounce is likely. It probably won't be a really strong bounce, but it'll be something that you can use to rebalance into, raise a little bit more cash, take some risk off the table, whatever it is that makes you comfortable. And then we can kind of weather whatever comes next. And then if this market ever does break out of this downtrend channel and starts to show more bullish action, which, which that will eventually occur, then we can take that cash and put it back to work on a little bit better risk reward level. And that's really what we're trying to do. Yes, we're gonna probably miss the bottom. We're not gonna buy it in right at the, at, at the lows. That's not, that's not investing, that's gambling, that's speculating. What we're looking for is to put money to work when the tailwinds are behind us, not a bunch of headwinds in front of us. Be right back after the break. Lots of stuff to get into this morning. Don't go away. investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn. Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So Brent's got a uh, very interesting graphic. Um, so Brent, every day he makes me a little note page and just you know puts little tidbits of stuff in case I run out of material to talk about. <laughs> brain freeze. Yeah, well, I don't generally get to your stuff because... You never have a brain freeze. <laughs> Not too often. <laughs> but there's actually kind of an interesting... It's the 10 largest nuclear explosions ever visualized. And, um, you know, it goes through Ivy Mike, Castle Bravo, Castle Romeo, and, and, the, and, the, and compare it to Mount Everest, which is kind of fascinating because these things are just mul multitudes larger in terms of explosion than, you know, the height of Mount Everest. But they're missing an important one, which is Saturday morning after a night at Taco Bell. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. That was not on there. <laughs> I found a new low, a new low bar. A new, oh, a new low bar. Yeah, Taco Casa. Oh, it's not even Cabana. We're down down to Taco Casa. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's there is stuff below that one though. Taco truck. <laughs> Taco those, Volkswagen. Those were actually better. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Brent has a penchant. 
for uh, tacos. So oh, no, no. It's my bride. It's your bride that has yes, the pinchon for tacos. Yes, she would eat that stuff three times a day, eight days a week right, if, okay. if I let her. Got her. And we did a road trip this weekend. And, you know, when you go on a road trip, you got to sample. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's my, so when we were driving all around Houston, taking mm-hmm. all these photos for oh, prom. yes. Yeah. Then finally, we'd, we'd been doing this for like four hours, <laughs> right? And my wife's like, oh, I, you know, I got to get something to drink. And if we go into this little convenience store, it was a bit sketchy <laughs> on <laughs> kind of downtown Houston. Um, it's one of, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, and the one time I go not packing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm carrying camera gear and all oh, kinds yeah. of yeah. stuff. And uh, anyway, and we get back in the car and she goes, you know, the best thing about a road trip, the snacks. And I'm like, you got a point. <laughs> My granddaughter is eight years old. Right. And now her favorite place to go on a road trip is to go get gas station food. <laughs> Bucky's. No. Just any gas station. Bucky's is like a palace compared to gas station food gotcha. that she, she wants. Likes. She wants the traditional yes. gas station. And they're food. starting her off young. That's, that's, that's you know. You either well, you know, it's one of those things where you build up an immune system. If you can survive gas station hot dogs and egg rolls, <laughs> you can pretty much survive anything. No fear. Exactly. COVID, nothing. <laughs> that, that, I guess that, you know it's probably a different show because we were growing up like we're drinking out of garden hoses and oh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So it's like nothing gets us. <laughs> the, the the three second rule was really ten. Oh, yeah. I was like, my dad just fed us on the floor. He's like, I'm not going to cook dishes. You know, I'm, I'm not going to wash dishes. Just throw it on the floor. Yeah. You, know, you and the dogs, whoever gets it, gets it. Right. <laughs> okay. It wasn't quite that bad, but it was, it was pretty close. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Anyway. Uh, all right. So, a couple of things here. This morning, uh, futures are pointing a little bit lower. Uh, not surprising. Big rally on Friday. Now, the, the the important thing here, though, is that futures are a little bit lower this morning, but they're just a little bit lower, and that's okay, right? So you have this big, massive rally on Fridays. A little bit of profit-taking is okay. What we don't want to see today is that little bit of give back this morning continue to accelerate all day, and we wind up giving up all the gains from Friday, and we're back down to lows. We don't want to see that because that's been the status quo here for the last, you know, several months is that, you know, these rallies keep getting sold, and we can't really string together a rally. And the last time we've strung together a decent rally was back in March, and we had a, a good, deep, oversold rally. And even back then, the confidence and uh, confidence levels, the uh, deviation from long-term means, those type of things weren't even at levels they are now. And we were able to string together a pretty decent rally. And look, I know I've been talking about a reflexive rally here for the last couple of weeks, and we haven't got one. And sometimes that happens. And you know this, but this is the point of how markets work because they're going to frustrate investors to the point that investors tend to just say, oh, never mind, I'm, I'm giving up and I'm getting out. And that's when the market's going to rally. So, you know, typically this is the point to where the markets really start to challenge a lot of views. And it's a, this is why it's important to always go back and just say, what does history tell us? What do statistics tell us? And stay to those things because even though in the short term we may not see you know, 
that that reflexive rally occur like we would expect, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. And that's where we've got to be careful about extrapolating returns. And this is what we do as investors, right? We the markets start going down, and we just start assuming it's only it, it, you know it's, they're never going to go up again. So we sell everything, right? Markets are never going up again. We're going to crash. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know. Um, you know that's what we start thinking, right? And so we start doing making really bad investment decisions. Same way when markets are going up, we just think the markets are always going to go up, and and we start taking a lot of excess speculative risk. And 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 this is where we typically go wrong every time. But this is one of those points right now where the markets are doing its very best to frustrate investors. And this is where we start making mistakes. So we've got to be careful here. We've got to stay with our discipline, got to stay with our strategy, even though it doesn't seem to be working at the moment. Just got to keep the, you know, it's kind of like anything. You just got to kind of plow through this stuff. And then when the market does give you the rally, then you correct mistakes. And this, this is the important thing. And, you know, it, it's just that's what we have to do. So, you know, and, and this and, and so, again, the kind of the important thing today is, is that we're kind of getting to the point to where, you know, we don't have a lot of news flow coming. Things are going to slow down a bit. And, and like I said earlier, the lack of news may actually give us the ability to have a bit of a rally here. And then we can fix some of the problems that we want to fix. So if you've got too much risk in your portfolio, use that to de-risk. If you're in the wrong places, you know, change places. Those are those are the things you can do. Um so, okay, going forward, let's, let's kind of shift gears here because as we start kind of moving forward over the rest of this year, things are going to change. And this is what I was saying, I have been saying, I've been talking about here, is that the headwinds really that we're coming into are going to be pretty dominant. We're going to have slowing economic growth. There's no way around that. The Fed's hiking rates, they're tightening monetary policy. And then just on the fact that you've got inflation alone is going to slow economic growth. It's simply a function that wage, real wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation, which means that you can't buy as much as you were. And when we start talking about credit card debt, those type of things, individuals are already back to tapping credit cards. Credit card levels are, uh, had declined during 2020, 2021, people paid off their credit card debt with free money from the government. And now those levels are back to where they were pre-pandemic. So all that money that was used to pay off credit card debt and freed up some, some spending room has now been used up. So the question now becomes is what can, you know, what are people going to be using to spend now? And, and where are they going to get the excess income coming to, to continue spending when everything is costing more, whether it's the you know, gas, uh, you know, gas station food or just gas station gas in, in general? <laughs> you know, it's all expensive. You know, it's, it's, and, and look, even if you go out to eat, it's gotten more expensive. I mean, even eating at Taco Casa is more expensive than it was. Went to, oh, uh, so one of my wife's just interesting byproduct, uh -huh. byline of all this, right? Yes. There's not a shortage of bacon right now. You can get bacon. Yeah. Okay. And it's expensive. But you can get it. But you can get bacon. So one of, one of my favorite, my, my, so my daughter's, one of my daughter's favorite meals mm. or 
I don't know what you, I guess you call it a meal. Chicken salad. Loves chicken salad. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it used to be Chick-fil-A chicken salad was the thing, but but Chick-fil-A, and, and she's now a, a, a Chick-fil-A hater for this. Not really. She still eats chicken Chick-fil-A. Every Who doesn't eat Chick-fil-A? Um, except on Sundays. But Except on Sundays. Nobody eats Chick-fil-A on Sundays. Um, but she's very mad at them because they stopped serving their chicken salad. Oh. Yeah, those was just a while back. And they, they kept teasing her that they were going to bring it back, and she's, like, so excited, and they don't bring it back. So we found this new restaurant called Chicken, chicken Salad Chick. Yes. You're familiar with this? Yes. Very good chicken salad. It's the one thing besides Tex-Mex my bride loves. There you go. Mm-hmm. So we went to Chicken Salad Chick on Saturday. Yeah. Because we were getting ready to go downtown. So we stopped by there, you know, heading downtown, stopped mm-hmm. by. It's on the way. Grabbed some lunch, went downtown. So anyway, go into the store, and there's a sign that says, due to a supply shortage of certain items, we are unable to serve these three types of chicken salad. So me being the inquisitive one, I went, hmm. A shortage of product? What could you be short on that only affects... You're obviously not short on chickens because you're making other chicken salad, right? It's just these three particular items Mm -hmm. that have a shortage of product. So I went in and I started looking at the... So they list up on the thing. It says, okay, uh, you know, Fancy Nancy has this in it and barbecue has this in it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I started looking at the three that are shortages and each of the three all contain one item. In common, bacon. And I go, there is no shortage of bacon. Bacon's expensive, but there's not a shortage of it. And so in order to keep from raising their prices on those three items or losing profit on it, they just simply said, hey, we're not going to serve this because the cost of bacon is now impacting our profit margins on these three these three styles of chicken salad. Even though they can still get bacon, they just were saving costs. And this is something I, you know, that we continue to see. It's not really a shortage of product. And we and this is the case for a lot of areas. It's not actually a shortage of products, it's the cost of those products. Be right back after the break. Yeah. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn. Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds. With Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Take a question. uh, Always get what? A little muscle memory there? Yeah. Back from the past, we used to do live radio. Yeah. 
Actually, well, we're, we're, we're live. Yeah, but we yeah. used to do live phone calls. With calls. Yeah, all that. That was a long time ago. But yeah, I mean, still, after... How long did we do that? Probably 20 years, I guess? Yeah. Just, yeah, reflex memory. Something just, like that. I know, just kind of fall back into that groove real easy. So, <laughs> um, President Biden is touting a $1.5 trillion budget deficit reduction. Reducing the budget deficit by $1.5 trillion. And that's that's good news, right? I mean... You know, after all, I mean, we should be reducing our budget deficit, and that's kind of the whole, the, you know, kind of living in, within our means would yes. be an interesting mm-hmm. prognosis. Concept. <laughs> Let me just read to you from this article. Uh, President Joe Biden on Wednesday tried to cast his administration as spending hawks, touting sizable reductions in the federal deficit this fiscal year as a key departure from what he characterized as a rampant spending by his former predecessor. The Treasury Department estimates that this year's budget deficit will decline by $1.5 trillion, and the reason for the smaller deficit is really a matter of debate. It's really not a matter of debate. It's a function that we dumped $5 trillion between uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump into the economy over a two-year period, and we're no longer doing that. So as a function, that money's now moved through the system and our deficit is now naturally reducing because money's coming in, we're paying taxes, and we're not and, and we're not spending the same amount. So you're gonna get a deficit reduction. It's just kind of a function of math uh, and how it works. Anyway, let me just continue to read to you here. Um, <laughs> and I love the I love this line here. The president's more modest budget proposal, which was only five trillion dollars. <laughs> only. Only $5 trillion. <laughs> Doesn't include a majority of the cost of Biden's uh, Build Back Better agenda, a transportation technology infrastructure program that Democrats have, have yet been able to pass. Uh, the administration priced the plan at $1.75 trillion, but it phased out some of the programs that would likely be permanent to reduce the price tag on paper. And the, Congress- the Congressional Budget Office estimated it cost around $4.73 trillion if the programs are permanent. So the plan would have included significant tax increases on high-income households. That didn't get passed either, and (laughs) which means that if they could get higher taxes and if interest rates don't go up and if we don't have inflation and we don't, you know, make the Build Back Better plan agenda permanent, which it would be, yes, you have a budget deficit reduction. And it's all fun with math, and this is the whole problem with how we account for things in government when it comes to spending. You know, we talk about a budget, and every year we have this automatic 8% increase in spending just because nobody really wants to sit down and take the time it would take to pass a budget and actually do a Dave. And if you have, I've told you about the movie Dave before. If you haven't rented it yet, go rent the movie, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But nobody's willing to sit down with a yellow highlighter and start finding where you can save some money. Give me a red Sharpie and I'd have it done in 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. With prejudice. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, it'd be really easy. Just Department of Energy, Department of Education, Department of Labor. There you go. Department of Transport. All that back to the states. It's their job anyway. It's their job anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of, we have bad inflation. No. 
because of the fact that we gave everybody trillions of dollars to spend and they went out and spent it like good, you know, like good consumers should do. We gave them free money. They went and spent it all. Governor Gavin Newsom out in California wants to basically add fuel to the fire by doing more checks to households in California in order to combat inflation. Now, this is the problem with people in government. <laughs> they have no sense of, of reality of what's going on. The reason that we have inflation is not because of Russia. It's not because of anything else. It's because we gave money to households at a time we shut down the economy. If you give more money to people and they're going to go spend it, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But people selling them the products, it's a very simple business. If I have a business where I'm selling you a product and I know you have money to spend, I'm going to raise my prices. This is the whole problem with student loan debt. Everybody you know, bitches and complains about the cost of college. We did not have this conversation about college tuition pre-2009. Why did we not have surging college tuition pre-2009? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? Because the government was not involved in student loan debt. In 2009, under Barack Obama... The government took over student loan debt and said, hey, guess what? If you can fog a mirror, we will give you a student loan. And everybody went and got student loans, and they spent it on everything but college. Because you could use it for a trip to Cabo for spring break. You could buy a car with it. You could invest it. You could, it didn't matter what you spent the money on. It could be used for anything you wanted. So we have this massive surge in college, college loans, a very easy application process to get it. And college, college, colleges went, wait a minute, you mean everybody's getting free money from the government? Well, not free, but student loan money from the government? And nobody cares what they spend it on? Yep, college tuition's going up. And every year they kept raising college tuition and everybody kept borrowing money. And it's supply and demand, as is always the case when it comes to anything. If I'm in a business and I hike, my, if, if I hike the price of my service to a hundred dollars and people keep paying a hundred dollars for it i'm gonna go well that's that's working well let's try 110 and everybody keeps buying it well that's working good let's go to 120 it's not costing me any more to make it but people are still paying for it so hey well why not go to 200 let's see what happens there see there's a price point when you get to a level and people just go i'm not paying that for that i don't care what it is i'm not paying x for that product, good, or service. And then all of a sudden, the producers start saying, well, nobody's buying it at this price point. Maybe I better lower my price a little bit. Right? But we've never hit that point because every time colleges raise their tuition costs, government just keeps giving them more money. <laughs> and nobody says anything. Right. And so now what we want to do is our fix is, is like, oh, my gosh, all these people are saddled with student loan debt. They went to college and they took out the student loan debt and they flunked out because they were spending all their money and time and Cabo and partying and everything else. And now they don't have a college degree and they're saddled with all the student loan debt. and They can't get a good paying job to pay back the student loan debt. Oh, my gosh, we need to help these people out. So now we have all these incentives. Oh, don't worry about paying your student loan. Right. It's in forbearance. Right? Put a moratorium on the payment, so that's helping people out. Give them a little people extra money to spend right now. And now they're trying to figure out a way to, to basically 
have people not pay it back at all, right? Well, what about the lenders, which is you, by the way, the taxpayer? You're the one that supplied the tax dollars that went to the student loans. And so the government's now saying, it's like, oh, don't worry about paying it back. Well, what about the next group of people that come up? My son's getting ready to go to college. I'm telling you right now, I'm like, son, keep your money. Go get a bunch of student loans because the government's going to forgive them all. Why not? <laughs> right? But this is the problem with this whole idea, which is that if we have student loans and we say, okay, everybody that had student loans pre-2000, you know, from 2008 to 2012, we're going to forgive all your debt. Well, what about the people that paid off their student loan debt? Are you going to give them a refund? What about the people going forward? Are you going to shut down the government loan program and so say, look, we're going to forgive everybody's debt. Okay, fine. Let's give every let's forgive everybody their student loan debts. One half trillion dollars. Right. Left left pocket change the way we spend money in government. But now you can, you've got to stop. I mean, if you're going to forgive everybody's student loan debt and screw all the people that paid back their student loans, you can't keep a student loan program going because what are you going to do with the next batch? Right. So when you get back to another one and a half trillion dollars, because if you're going to keep going, guess what's going to happen? Colleges are going to keep raising their tuition. Now it's even better for colleges because now colleges go, guess what? We can charge a boatload for education because the government's going to loan it to them. And then they're going to forgive all these people. And it's all in the taxpayer. Let's double tuition rates, triple them, whatever it takes. See, this is this is a slippery slope. But it all goes back to economics. If there's, if there's money to spend, people are going to raise their prices, i.e. inflation. And this is where Governor Gavin Newsom falls well short of having any level of real intelligence. If, you're, if, you're, if your problem is inflation, don't throw more gas on the fire. Throwing gasoline on a fire does not put the fire out. <laughs> it makes it burn hotter. It's not like throwing water on a grease fire. You don't do that. But that's exactly what his solution to the problem is. But this is the short-sighted nature. This is not about fixing inflation. This is about buying votes. That's all this comes down to. And people in California, I don't get it. They keep voting for the same people that keep their cost of living extraordinarily high. Don't understand it. I mean, you're paying nearly a dollar in taxes for a gallon of gas. Move. <laughs> Sam Kennison, don't send food to poor people in Africa. Send them U-Hauls. Move to where the food is. <laughs> Be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never 
owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn, Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. the show this morning it's uh 6 47 as we get uh show underway <laughs> so during the pandemic everybody thought it'd be a great idea to go out and buy a bicycle because we could all go driving around on bikes and you know get some exercise because gyms were shut down and so there's so this caught all the bike makers unprepared because everybody wanted to go buy a bicycle and they didn't have the supply to, 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 to meet the demand. And, of course, the prices of bikes went through the roof because, well, supply and demand, right? Just what we're talking about. <laughs> As Statista's Philip Richter notes, the bike boom hit retailers unprepared, causing new bicycles to become a scarce commodity, exacerbated by the fact that global bicycle supply was also constrained due to COVID-19. According to inflation-adjusted figures uh, published by the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, Americans spent $7 billion on bicycles and accessories in 2020, up from $6 billion the year before. The trend continued in 2021. Consumer spending on bicycles reached almost $8 billion, up $2 billion over the course of two years. Uh, looking at seasonally-adjusted quarterly figures, bicycle spending peaked in quarter two of 21. And they bought the most bikes at an, at an equivalent rate of $8.3 billion compared to pre-pandemic spending of $6 billion per quarter. So, I mean, people just went bicycle crazy. Now, <laughs> garage coat racks are on sale. And you can buy bikes cheap as people are going, yeah, this whole bicycle thing was stupid. I'm not going to be riding my bike everywhere, particularly when it rains. And in Houston in particular, you know, hey, I think I'm going to run, I'm going to run across, you know, I'm going to run down to the store. In Houston, a store may be 40 miles from your house. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing close to anybody in Houston if you live, unless you live in the city. Outside of that, everything is what we call a fair piece down the road. <laughs> to get to it and who wants to ride your bike to the store in the summer right. in houston i know you know we're talking about we we're talking about garden hose water earlier yeah. right yeah and, you know the best part of that is during you when you needed it was in midsummer when it came out of the hose at like 190 <laughs> degrees right <laughs> you know it's like you could just boil eggs with that water coming out of that hose it's just no kidding but yeah but yeah it's 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 hot and, and so not surprising people have gone yeah no there's just those few biking enthusiasts are still buying bikes so anyway the, the point is bike sales are going back to where they were <laughs> previous and most of that's a lot of it's kids cycles yeah, so. failed business opportunity in houston is rent a shower <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> you <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> There's a there's a lot of things that are yeah just no yeah. <laughs> that's 
that's that's one of them. <laughs> um, all right, so just kind of wrapping up the show for the day. It kind of meandered a bit this morning. Uh, over the uh, Friday, I did a market recap with uh, Adam Taggart over at Wealthion, and we'd, every week we do kind of just a recap of markets, what happened during the week, kind of what's going on. And we got off in this this conversation. Of course, I knew this was going to spark just a you know a load of debate and you know <laughs> shall we say more aggressive denials <laughs> or rebuttals. <laughs> But we were talking about Bitcoin and, you know, the the price collapse in Bitcoin. And, and I had made some comments, you know, talking about it. it's like, you know, I, I said, I think this may change some of the attitudes towards Bitcoin being this safe haven against fiat currencies and that it that, you know, this is going to be, the you know, an inflation hedge and a replacement for gold. And it's certainly not turned out that way. And of course, you know, still a lot of there's look, there's still a lot of people that believe in the future of Bitcoin and that may be the case. And as I as I said in, in in our discussion, I said, look, you know, I don't know what the outcome of this is. All I know is, is that right now, you know, with Bitcoin down, you know, 55% or so from the peak, that you've got to be questioning the efficacy of the transaction, particularly when you start talking about the stable coins that have all broken the buck now. You know, all the you know, a lot of these premises about Bitcoin have really come to test. As of late, and and I thought one of the most interesting comments, and we talked about this last week from Coinbase, which is one of the crypto exchanges. They said that if you have if you have cryptocurrencies invested with us, and they house about two hundred and fifty billion or so of of assets, that in the event of bankruptcy, those assets become a asset of the business, right? Not yours, the business. So when they have to go pay off creditors, they use your money to pay off those creditors. And, you know, we were talking about last week is that that's why, you know, we have money at a bank. You have FDIC insurance and you have SIPC insurance in your brokerage account. You do not have that type of insurance with your cryptocurrency. And that's what protects you in a bank as long as you don't exceed those deposit limits of losing your money in the event of bankruptcy. And that's, you know, we, we, we fail to take that into account. We go, oh, we have this cash. I have this investment. It's mine. Nobody can touch it. That is not true. That's why, you know, brokerage firms have excess insurance coverage to cover the company in the event of bankruptcy because they want you to house more than the depository insurance will cover. So for a brokerage account, it's $500,000, $100,000 in cash, $400,000 in, in securities, so you have 500,000 of coverage through SIPC. So if you have an account at Fidelity, so to speak, you have and you have more than $500,000 in your account, SIPC will only cover the first 100,000 in cash and 400,000 in securities. Now, once you get beyond that, your assets would be at risk in the form of a bankruptcy. They would become assets of Fidelity to pay off their creditors. So, in or, but look, Fidelity wants you to house all of your assets there, right? They want big investors. They want guys with $100 million, $200 million, $300 million having their money to invest. They want 401k plans, all that stuff at their company to invest. So they carry insurance with basically unlimited coverage. So no matter how big your account is, in the event of their bankruptcy, they've got insurance to cover 
your assets so that your assets are protected. You don't have that with Coinbase. So this is this is, you know, the thing, and I, and I think that, and my my comments that spark the ire of of Bitcoin enthusiasts is, is I think you have to reconsider your thesis that Bitcoin is what it is, which is a speculative asset. And that's why it trades with the NASDAQ. The correlation between Bitcoin and NASDAQ is very close. It's a speculative asset. Now, maybe at some point in the future, it'll become a viable asset in terms of you know, using it for transactions, those type of things. But we don't have that right now, not to any great degree. If you want to convert your coin, your Bitcoin in back into dollars, you've got to go through a stable coin and convert the stable coin back to U.S. dollars. So it's not everything that it was touted to be. And reality is starting to impact that, but it hasn't changed the hearts and minds of Bitcoin enthusiasts. And like I said, the commentary that we got back from that interview <laughs> not surprisingly was a bit aggressive. Look, and, and, and you know, Again, I'm, I have nothing against cryptocurrencies. I just think it's, as an investment manager, I think it is important that you consider the risk that you're taking. And you know, one of the questions we were discussing most importantly was, you know, as an advisor, you know, will the advisor community you know, adopt Bitcoin as an investment asset class? And the answer is that yes, I think they will. But right now, custodians don't make it really easy for you to have it you know, invested. Fidelity is trying to make that a, a reality. But I think once you start looking at these drawdowns, multiple drawdowns over just the lifespan of, of Bitcoin itself, as an example, these big, these big, huge 50% drawdowns make it very difficult for people who are depending on their assets for retirement to invest a large amount of money into such a speculative investment. They can lose money. So rapidly. And that's also what makes it difficult for it to get adopted, as we said before, in the form of transactions. Because if I'm a manufacturer and I'm shipping, you know, a product, I'm so Brent pays me for, you know, a handmade Bugatti, right? So he pays me in Bitcoin. So I start building the Bugatti. It's custom tailored, custom fitted, custom built, you know, top to bottom. And it takes me, you know, a couple of months to build this car, however long it takes. And so Brent pays me his $2, billion, his, his $2 million worth of Bitcoin. I take it in. I go build his car. And by the time I deliver his car, you know, I've lost 50% of the value. So I wind up selling him a car for a million bucks. That's, that, that makes it, I'm being a little bit, I'm exaggerating here, but it makes it very hard for a manufacturer or a producer of a product that takes time to deliver to accept that cryptocurrency as a transaction because of the volatility, right? I need to, I need to be able to have dependency on the value of that purchase. And that's, you know, the, the one thing that's kind of hindering cryptocurrencies from being a, a, a viable transaction currency is, is its volatility. The volatility itself is problematic. So anyway, that was our discussion. It's on the website. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, you can watch the entire uh, weekly recap. We post it there every Saturday for you, so you can kind of go watch the video, get a recap of what Adam and I discuss every week. We always cover a lot of topics. Um, there's generally often a rant in there or two, sometimes more. 
Anyway, it's all on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, of course, send us your questions, comments, emails, get our uh, subscribed to our, our latest newsletter. Uh, it's absolutely free, of course, and get our latest, latest blog post and more. Check out simplevisor.com. Uh, this morning, we have our portfolio review posted up at simplevisor.com. So that's there for you as well. You can get a 30-day free trial to check that out. It's all on the website, simplevisor.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. Your one place to start everything on your investing journey. Be back here tomorrow. Uh, three minutes on Markets of Money. Be coming right up. It's a rich man's world.